Hello, and welcome to Punching Out. Every week, we're here on Wayo Radio talking about the problems people have with their work, whether it's incompetent bosses or unfair policies, hostile workplaces or dismal paychecks, or anything in between. We want to hear from you. If you'd like to share your work problems with us, email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com and let us talk about them. Tune in and punch out. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Hey, welcome to Punching Out. For this week's show, we've pieced together a few of the conversations we've had on past shows where we talked about building the future we want to see. So you're about to hear some of our discussions on ideas like universal health care and ending work as we know it. We hope you'll enjoy it. We are going to talk about um, the New York Health Act, which is a piece of legislation that is in um, has been passed by the New York State Assembly three years in a row, is one state senator shy of having a majority of Senate support in the New York State Senate um, that promises a single-payer universal health care for all New Yorkers. So that sounds pretty good, right? Gives me hope. It fills me with hope. Okay. <laughs> so I'm going to do my best mm-hmm. to answer questions about the New York Health Act. What do you want to know? Ah, okay. Well, I guess just, just to start off, maybe like a really broad overview of what, like what exactly you mean by single payer and universal for people that, that don't know. Okay. So we have a lot of insurance companies in New York State, health insurance companies. Uh, I don't know how many. Um, there are a lot in New York. There are a lot nationally. In New York State, no more insurance companies. Beautiful. So the New York State government would be the single payer um, for the health care that New Yorkers receive. And they really would be acting in the role of an insurance company. The doctors and hospitals and nurses and workers would not be working for the New York State government. Mm-hmm. It's not nationalized or statalized. Healthcare is called single payer because you no longer have multiple payers um, in the system. But let's cut to the chase. Yeah. Absolute full coverage for everything. No copays, no premiums, no deductibles, no coinsurance. Any doctor you want to see who is willing to see you. Um, so no in network, out of network. Everybody's in network. Everybody. You can go to whatever doctor you want to go to. It doesn't matter which health system it is, anybody that'll take you as a patient. Um, When I say everything's covered, this is uh, if you go to the hospital, Mm -hmm. if you go to the emergency room, if you go to your doctor for preventive care, if you go to your doctor because you stubbed your toe, um, if you need your flu shot, mental health care, completely covered. Wow. Um, long, this is actually, so it would cover everybody. So for the, for, for people who are 65 and older, it would replace Medicare Mm -hmm. better than Medicare. So you long-term care, uh, the bill specifies that within two years time, there has to be a plan for single payer long-term care. Um, eyeglasses, dental, prescription drugs, what am I forgetting? It, it, it's, this is too good to be true. It's not too good to be true. <laughs> how, 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 who's going to pay for all this? <laughs> okay. So um, there are a number of ways in which the system saves money so that everybody can be covered for everything. It would be funded mm-hmm. by progressive taxation. Um, and what that means is poor people pay less, rich people pay more. I'm just, I'm good with that, actually. Um, <laughs> it's actually, so as a person, mm-hmm. you would have health care coverage from the day that you're born. Yeah. No co-pays, no deductibles. No, right. Uh, <laughs> I mean, Google campaign for New York Health, or you can Google New York Health Act, mm-hmm. um, and you'll find the website that lets you calculate your own savings wow. based on what you pay now and what you would pay under the bill. But I'm telling you, like, Unless you earn over $250,000 a year, you're saving money. Wow. So it sounds like it's, I mean, it's so, so good. Um, But 
why hasn't it happened yet? And who's against it? Okay. So, okay. <laughs> who who, who thinks this is a bad idea? <laughs> okay. So this... I, think I know ver- the answer. But. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so a version of this, the, I started on this in mm-hmm. 1992, which is the first time the New York State Assembly passed a single-payer health care bill by the same sponsor, uh, Gottfried. Mm-hmm. So... Um, so I've been watching this carefully for a long time. Yeah. It's really it takes the profit out. I'm sorry, it takes the profit out of healthcare. It that doesn't mean that you don't get a salary anymore. There's yeah. enough money in the healthcare system actually to cover everybody for everything. Mm-hmm. Um, the problem is that we're subsidizing profits. Right. And insurance companies who are coming between you and your doctor and your care for no reason other than to be in it for profit. Um, There are a lot of savings because New York State, by covering everybody, would represent a consumer block that could negotiate drug prices with pharmaceutical companies. So there's a lot of savings to the system right there. Um, Right now, there's a rule for New York State, which I don't think any other state has, Mm -hmm. um, where county property taxes a portion of those go toward funding Medicaid. Since New York Health Act replaces Medicaid, counties could stop charging those property taxes immediately in the first yeah. year of if this became law. And that, 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 that's money that we could save is what you're saying? Yes. With this plan. That's in the money first that year. we would save in the first year. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if those governments are going to collect it and spend it on something else. Yeah. I right. mean, but we got to pay attention. That's right. We always have to exactly. pay attention. Sure, sure. Exactly. So I, I, I get excited about single payer because there's actually a business case for it. Yeah. And all of those top, all of sort of the Republican talking points about property taxes and how we have to cut services because we have to lower property taxes. So um, th- those get addressed with the New York Health Act. Yeah. So regular people would be spending less. Um, they'd be taxed. It's a tax. It's mm-hmm. a new tax. It's a new tax, people. Yeah. But guess what? You're not paying premiums, deductibles, right. co-pays. You're not going to have health care debt from being hospitalized or having cancer that makes you sell your house to pay your debt, right? We have like 60% of bankruptcies in the United States right now are related to health care debt. None of that. Yeah. Gone. Wow. Gone. And businesses will pay less into the system than they currently pay. Um, Right now, even just the management of the system, right now New York employers spend over $2 billion annually to do open enrollment. So, (laughs) like, to administer healthcare and to decide which policies they're going to provide to their employees and all of that administration work that they have to do, gone. Wow. And that alone is $2 billion. The the friendliness to business for single payer, I think, is going to mean that the state that does it first is going to have an influx of jobs Mm -hmm. because it's going to be cheaper to do business there. And they won't have the headache of $2 billion of administering yeah, employee health insurance every year and doing open enrollment. So it's actually could stimulate business. Mm-hmm. The people we talked about, I think we talked about last week, um, you know, people keep their jobs because they have to keep their health insurance. Right. People wouldn't have to stay in jobs just to have health insurance. If a mom or dad wanted to stay home with their kids and have one parent in the household working, this is a lot more possible yeah. if you're not paying an arm and a leg and your soul for health insurance. Right. Because you're just going to, you deserve health care. You right. deserve to have your problems taken care of. Hey, hey guys, you know that feeling you have at work, that dead inside feeling? Bad news, we can't really help with that. Good news, we can help you waste some time at work. You're listening to Punching Out on WAYO LPFM Rochester. Your boss isn't listening, but we are. Envisioning a different way of doing things. How can we go about a world in which unemployment is less of a punishment? What would that look like? Or, in fact, not a punishment at all, but just a great way to spend your time. I think we all (laughs) love not being at work. Yeah. (laughs) Maximize leisure time. But I was thinking that you know, if, if we agree that CEOs are no more deserving as human beings of their wealth and having their basic needs met, 
then we agree that all human beings are deserving. Mm -hmm. That leads us to think about things like universal basic income, which would give everybody a baseline of wealth for which to, yeah, get their basic needs met. It also includes universal health care because everyone deserves to have access to health care, not just rich people. And I think allowing everybody to have equitable access to having their basic needs met takes the edge right off of the punishment that unemployment currently... And and what it also does is it takes the edge off unemployment as a weapon used by capital against those who have jobs. Right. And it also takes away that cutthroat competition Uh aspect that perpetuates the system because people aren't having to fight over almost non-existent resources if they have their basic needs met. And what I love about universal basic income as a concept is it makes me think of that thing that pundits are always saying about how a a budget represents the priorities... Of a country. Yeah, thank you. And in the same way, I think a universal basic income is sort of the economy's way and the country's way of saying... Every person has dignity, every person has worth, and here we can express that in actual dollars and cents. Yeah, by virtue of the fact that we all exist, we are deserving of care. Mm -hmm. There was a great line on last week's show, uh, Ariel said it. Um, He said, um, he was talking about like fast food workers, and he said, these people are no less deserving of dignity and respect than somebody who works at a metal factory. And I think It is on us to extend that dignity and respect to even the unemployed. Absolutely, Uh because they are human beings just as anyone else. Uh And if we take the view that these sort of societal stigmas lead to policy decisions, then in theory we can create pressure towards policies that are less punitive. I believe that even if we uh, our goals were made and – people no longer had the need to work, I believe that many people would still work. They would just... Absolutely. They would do labors of love. They would do things that actually brought them fulfillment. And not only their own lives would be enriched, but I'm sure all of our lives would be enriched if more people were following their passions. Yeah. Because if you think about it, what people do in their leisure time takes a lot of work, Uh effort, energy... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, th- musical instruments, um, reading or writing books, um, learning languages, making art. All of these things enrich our lives and make life worth living. And that gets back to the idea we started this show on, which is that those things, the things we do not for someone else's profit, are closer to our identities than our occupations are. Absolutely. And some people who are maybe are not so artistic... Um, They also, in their free time, they upkeep their properties. Um, There was a retired man in my town who actually, there was a a hill that was very, very steep and there was no good way down. People were falling. And he built a set of stairs to go up the hill. Just for fun. Yeah, he had nothing else to do. He saw a need. He built these stairs. Were they well-built stairs? Oh, yeah. No, this guy knew what he was doing. Yeah, there's a lady in my neighborhood around the corner who just finds little pieces of land and plants flowers on them and, and gardens this all over the place. This sort of gets to something which we didn't touch on this show, but um, retirement, which is a form of unemployment, though we don't think of it in those terms. And and many and recent trends suggest that fewer people are enjoying retirement. They're working lo- later into their lives. Yeah, well, I've always mm-hmm. kind of thought that you know, once I realized the, the myth of employment after college, I also realized the myth of retirement for our generation. Yeah. There's no guarantee of that. Plus, are any of you guys saving for retirement? Do you have a 401k or an IRA or any of that stuff? There was stuff? a recent statistic where like two-thirds of millennials do not. Right. I'm honestly shocked that one-third does. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. We, we My, promised uh, that this would be a hopeful song <laughs> for this already. turn. Oh, well, I wasn't going to say anything very hopeful. I was saying that my <laughs> retirement plan is the same as my health care plan, which is... Uh, <laughs> Just hope. Well, I guess the takeaway from this is that if things are the way they are by design, mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. then can, we can have a different design. Yeah. We aren't stuck with what we have. Mm-hmm. And if we can imagine something better, then we can work towards it. The, the economy is not this force of nature that right. so many people assume it to be. It is the product of decisions and choices. And we right. can make more equitable, more decent choices. I think yeah. we need a new, a new philosophy of value, a new understanding of right. what creates value. You mentioned your neighbor or the lady in your neighborhood mm-hmm. planting flowers. And what she is doing is she is adding value to the land around her, to people's lives, but it's not economic value necessarily. It's not producing profit for a boss who makes more than he pays her. So until we can decide that there are things far more valuable than profit for a few people, we will be stuck with the system that we have. But I think most people would agree that there are many kinds of value, Mm -hmm. some of which are inherently more valuable than others. And profit for the few at the expense of the many is illogical and unreasonable. So I think there are parts of these job guarantee proposals and the idea more broadly that do challenge sort of the existing status quo. The thought of giving people an outlet that, like we said, you know, if you're offering $15 an hour, you know, that's going to pose a challenge to existing businesses. It's going to make them vie for labor and you know the competition that we're told is nice except when it comes to labor. At the same time, I see where both of you, I think, are coming from in that a job guarantee is not enough. It, right. it does not in and right. of itself change the uh, dynamic between labor and capital, and that dynamic is what creates sort of the tension and the alienation that we experience. Yeah, yeah. When, uh, when you first brought the job guarantee bill to my attention, and we were talking about doing this episode, I got really excited because I did. I saw it just as a, a stepping stone to mm-hmm. moving beyond this in the in the first place. And and then the criticism from the right, of course, is that you know the 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 age old we're gonna you know we're gonna have to cut back on jobs. We're gonna have to automate this, that, uh, and the other. And and the thing that that exposes, as far as as I'm concerned, is that you're you're basically saying that your business is only viable if you can exploit your workers to mm-hmm. the extent that, y- y- you know, and so, and then and that brings the morality of the job, the job and that industry and whatever that you're talking about into um, directly, pulls it directly into the light and makes it almost impossible to ignore. People have to address these things that maybe these jobs are mm-hmm. immoral. Like, you know, if that, if that's the only way that they can get by, then that's probably immoral. And, and I guess I should say I'm not, so much an accelerationist that (laughs) it you know that i can't recognize this this is a good thing for Mm -hmm. people right and i can't bring myself to argue too strenuously against something that allows people to improve their conditions right here and now particularly not when you have so many people suffering so many indignities from the exploitation of their labor (laughs) but one of the reasons that this occurs to me is that by focusing on the Um, formal aspects of what a jobs guarantee entails, it allows for the chance, like I was saying earlier, maybe this in the long run helps empower workers because they are better paid, they have better benefits, they grow to, they, they hopefully would grow to expect these things because these are good things that they should have. And then that would allow them to create that cultural change. Um, God knows that that in the U.S. we always have issues with that. I, I think expectation is sort of a good way of thinking it. Um, there was a National Review article, which I sent both of you, that was, I think the headline was, uh, this jobs guarantee idea would be a socialist disaster, which... Democrats says universal job plan would be a socialist disaster. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> um, they say that like it's a bad thing. Honestly. Seriously. Yeah. Um, and one, one of the things that near the end of the article is he says if this goes through voters will start to expect from their congressmen their representatives that that they will fight to reduce unemployment that they will fight to create jobs and we can't have that oh no <laughs> what a nightmare and, <laughs> right yeah. and my first thought is we already do have this cuz that's what the whole like rhetoric about job creators is about i right. mean we yeah, already exactly. have this expectation that from some that the government will work to enable job creators to work their magic such that it is. Um, well, that sort of you know, leads me to the, my next thought in terms of 
you know, when you, if we're talking about effectively socializing some work, right, mm-hmm. then it, it just by its nature is going to hopefully be a more democratic process um, mm-hmm. than the normal, you know, I mean, the, it, the, the average workplace is... It gives people a vote. Right, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. Like, li- yeah, lit- like literally. Mm-hmm. And so in that, in that sense, when it comes to bosses and, and that, you know, it mm-hmm. could a- address some of those things that Noah was mm-hmm. just talking um, about. Workplace democracy on the broadest scale you can mm-hmm. have, which is nationwide. Right. I feel like if you if you take this guaranteed jobs idea and kind of run with it, hopefully private industry does suffer and things start uh, things start uh, closing and we start picking things up. Uh, you know, on, on a society from from a society level, number one, um, because when you're talking about jobs provided by society as opposed to private capital, they, they're allowed to operate on a different fundamental baseline, which is to say, not everything we have to do is strictly about bottom line shareholders. Because, well, I guess you could look at it as shareholders, but the shareholders now become the public, becomes Mm -hmm. a public good and not just... Private profit. Right, exactly. Yeah, you know, exactly. And it allows you to make decisions uh, that are motivated by social benefit, basically, Mm -hmm. as opposed to just the slash and burn that you get sometimes for just like in any corporate environment, you know, you know what I'm saying? Um, but so the idea that we're, we're going to leave some of these private things behind and start absorbing them in, into, um, you know, more of a, a socialist structure is interesting because then if you take it one step further and you start thinking about, okay, so now what happens when, um, those federal jobs, we decide that we can automate them or we make that a goal, right? We say, yeah, we want to work less like as a society. So let's like automate these things. And then, because I know uh, Noah, before we started rolling, you talked a little bit about UBI, uh, universal basic income, right? So m- my stance, and I think other people, is that U- UBI is rough in a vacuum, mm-hmm. right? Because it's just, there's lot, obviously there's lots of issues there. You need a lot of legislation around that to keep, um, j- just to keep it from falling apart. But if we slid into it based on mm-hmm. something like this, this seems like a nice, a nice stepping stone there because you're, you're, you're socializing work. Uh, and then when you start cutting back, if, if a government employee loses their jobs, you don't necessarily have to stop paying them. Right. <laughs> you know, like they could continue and then, you know, or, or work less, cut back on hours. Mm-hmm. There's, there's lots of interesting things that could come from this. Yeah, the, the basic thing would be that, um, I, I completely agree with that. The basic thing would be that instead of getting your hours cut, suddenly becoming a nightmare where you're not sure if you're going to be able to eat that week or make rent or whatever it is, it becomes a, oh, cool, I have two more hours to do whatever the heck I want. Right. Again, it, it comes back to this thing that these jobs guarantees in the short term are too good a thing to argue against them um, from an ethical point of view. But it's more about um, making sure that they can – that the improvement – the short-term improvement they create in conditions for workers leads to ultimately the real like quake we're looking for, the real right. shift in thinking yeah, about it yeah. that leads to uh, exactly what you're talking about. It would – it would end alienation from labor. It would give you a communitarian basis for what you do. And as we've talked on the show before, if we weren't working for somebody else's profit, work would still get done. There are yeah. still things that need doing, and people would do them. But they would do them because other people that they live with, that they know, that they're in a community with, need them. Rather than it being because my boss is otherwise going to fire me, and I'll end up on the street, and I'll be destitute. Yeah. I'm going to read now a bit from uh, it's an article in In These Times by Kate Aronoff, and she writes that there's plenty of valuable work to be done that simply isn't valued by the private sector. This is what you were talking about, Earl, with not everything has to produce a profit because yeah. um, she writes how it's hard to imagine any company, for instance, being able to make a profit off of building playgrounds or keeping elderly people company to help ward off loneliness, which has been linked to, in several studies to premature death. These are the sorts of ideas that you can have when profit isn't your bottom line. Um, yeah. You can start talking about infrastructure projects, which mm-hmm. work only in the super long term and aren't necessarily – it's hard to make a whole lot of money off of building a road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's you can work on sort of things that have an environmental basis uh, rather than again that bottom line. Um, mm. It's sort of a radical might be too strong a word for it, but it's definitely a shift in our priorities that I think sure. a jobs guarantee would yeah. bring about. Reading again from this article, uh, she writes. 
what feeds a profit margin and what makes for good society don't often overlap. And I think that's really drop. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Through paying a living wage and offering robust benefits, a job guarantee properly formulated could give workers another option and help redefine what valuable productive work looks like. Well, you know, the interesting or something that I think is interesting is that, uh, yes, of, of course, it would be nice for people to have the luxury to uh, engage in the arts and, and leisure uh, and the work that gets done that, that they'll be able to do uh, is something that, like you said, with Steinbeck or, or just it would never exist. Right. But I also think that that applies to it doesn't stop at creative endeavors uh, or what we what we would refer to as artistic endeavors, because lots of work is creative, regardless right. of whether you're painting or whatever. That's part of the thing that excites me the most about a future like this is that like we really don't know what to expect from people. Mm-hmm. Uh, like our whole lives have been dominated by this like crushing work ethic for so long, and we've had most of us have so little time to engage in creative thought, whether it's writing or even if it's just you know because I have friends that are mechanically inclined that like to design things, uh, and they just you know who, who knows what kind of inventions and novels and songs and just crazy things will exist if we can scale that work the you know our work day is back uh if we can get down to 20 hour work week 10 hour work week zero hour work week that would be awesome oh, that's but just think of what we could accomplish you know mm-hmm. i mean that people and i know we talked about this in, the, in uh ryan the episode that you and i did with abby but it's just i i don't even know what to expect right <laughs> you know absolutely. And, I, and I yeah i want to find out so bad <laughs> what we're what we're capable of so just sort of to narrow our focus right i guess do we like the job guarantee idea is this good i i like it if if our goal long term is to scale back the working week or day or whatever to as minimal as minimal as we can get then it seems like taking that power uh, out of the hands of private capital and putting it into a more socialized environment is the way to do that and this seems like a nice way to get there from the long-term point of view i really like the idea that it ultimately gives workers the opportunity to democratize their workplaces, to take control of their labor by giving them the ability to expect better from their labor, from their employers, to expect more accountability. From their politicians. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Because yeah. now, you know, politicians will just have to ensure unemployment, uh, mm-hmm. no unemployment, mm-hmm. because that's a bad thing, apparently. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it gives workers the ability to slide towards that future where hopefully we will all work less by common decision right. instead of just because, you know, your boss doesn't like you or the store is suffering or whatever. Yeah. I don't think this will really come of these bills, but one way to radicalize them would be if they mandated that these jobs would have a 30-hour work week. You know, right. Just yeah. that would be There's one way idea. to... Well, even if that's something that doesn't come immediately with these these particular bills um, that Booker and, and Sanders are, are are you know putting together, um, if it's something that comes down the pipe after this this the ball has gotten rolling, um, but yeah, that's like that could be one of the the sh- you know the near term goals is to say like look like we're going to provide jobs for everybody, and then once we have that sort of stabilized a little bit, uh, we're going to try and start scaling this back mm-hmm. a little bit, like we you know. We want more. We want more from this life, and I think that that's an important thing. To, people should be okay with saying that, and I don't know why people aren't. It's okay for you to say you want more from your life than to work for forty years and until you can't anymore. <laughs> and I think the best way to do that is to give people the security to be able to think that way. The more, yeah. if you give people good jobs, they'll start thinking. You know, this is nice. What what I've got, but. Um, what, what, be, what took it so long? Yeah, what took it so long? And <laughs> right. number one and number two, wouldn't it be nicer if? It were also a 30-hour work week. Wouldn't it be nicer yeah. if it covered this or that? I, I think it sets a nice foundation for radical ideas to flourish. Mm-hmm. You sure. know? Yeah. When you have this tool at your disposal, it can be used in you know, creating a new federal arts project, a new federal writer's program. It, it yeah. can be used to achieve goals that we haven't even put on our to-do list yet. Yeah, the yeah. product of your labor can be a society mm-hmm. rather than... You know, money for a few hundred people. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to Punching Out on Wayo 104.3. If you enjoy our show, you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. If you'd like to share your stories, you can email us at punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Back to the show. This is us. We're back. 
And I am going to open a segment of the show that I'm calling, off the top of my head, Fantasy Balance. What would legitimate, like, what would we like to see for work-life balance? Let's start with small small things. Like, definitely within the totally doable right this second Let's maybe, let's challenge ourselves and start with those things that wouldn't cause corporate Democrats to get up and leave the room. <laughs> Ooh, okay, that's, that's, okay tough. that's tough. Well, in New York that State, we already have one of those things. Yeah. We have a new... Um, paid family leave. Yeah. Yeah, so paid family leave. So we talked in a previous episode about a little bit about um, FMLA, which is the federal law that... Uh, Family Medical Leave Act, which protects some workers from getting fired for having to take time off to have a baby or take care of sick family members or take care of yourself for your own illness. Uh, New York has a new law. It's the uh, Family or Paid Family Leave Act, um, PLF, and it gives you a little bit of money, not definitely not your whole salary, but depending on how many hours you work or, or if you're seasonal or anything like that, it will deduct a little bit of money out of your paycheck to go in a pot oh. and then will pay for you to take time off. So if you do have a baby, I think this year, you, you know, if you qualify for this, this benefit, then you could get like half of your salary or wage to take that time off. Okay. So it's something. Yeah. So it's something. It's so something. that 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 right. that literally qualifies as does not cause the corporate democrats right. to leave the room. Partially <laughs> because it is paid for part by the workplace, yeah. part by the the employee. Yeah. So so you're paying into this yeah. thing to use it. Okay. So use it people, mm-hmm. use it. I will mention that one of if we're talking about corporate Democrats, we can also think about <laughs> another person that um, was pushing for a fa- for family leave that was making this her like normally it would be uh, the first lady project, but Ivanka Trump was a you know that was going to uh, be right. her big She's project. Kind of the first what lady. happened? <laughs> like everything what else, happened? you know, just a. Got petered out by something else. It's not even like a democratic thing. It's not necessarily that progressive. It's something that we should demand, like, as just even from the garbage Republican Party. Um, (laughs) (laughs) They're all kind of garbage, but they're particularly stanky. The garbage fascists. Um, (laughs) How do you feel about it? Yeah. (laughs) Not disagreeing. (laughs) We're building. We're building. You're you're, you're getting off too strong. So what other sort of fantasies do we have? So a little, just to up the ante a little bit, unlimited time off. Oh. Yeah. I know I, I kind of jumped the gun, but like instead of having your sick leave and your vacation and maybe your personal day, which are all separate things that have to be used for separate reasons, like you can't use and your you personal days. Them. Yeah, you have to justify. You can't lump your personal days together. You can only use your sick days when you're like either sick mm-hmm. or taking care of sick people. Um, like you just have time that you need to take off. And if you're saying, "Yeah, I really just, I just need to not be here today." You so go. is this like some places have paid time off and they don't specify whether it's sick leave or vacation time? Kind of. I've heard of companies. I cannot, of course, think of one off the top of my head that just have a f- unlimited leave. Like it's not designated for any specific thing. But if you need to take a day because you're sick or take care of family members or just need to get away, like you have that restriction. Like, you know, not talking about f- – well, no, definitely talking about it. Like I only have – I have 12 days of vacation mm-hmm. every year, which is two weeks. That's two weeks and then a couple of days. Mm-hmm. Like that's nothing. And I and I stress out about taking time off so much because there's a lot of negotiation with my work. When I take time off, I have to find coverage. I have to make sure mm-hmm. that everything is squared away before I uh, before I go. And so I, the the act of taking time off, which is supposed to be good, is incredibly stressful. And then yeah. because I feel like I, I only have limited time and I need to make use of it, it's it's further compounded because if I'm not, you know, having the greatest time of my life, it kind of feels wasted. You know, it's not it's not time off. It's it is other work. So unlimited like that works for some industries, it sounds like. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a, uh, when I've heard of it, it's it's also workplaces that have maybe work from home. Yeah, abilities. Which, hey, that would be a good thing. That That's would improve your work-life balance. Yeah, mm. for a lot of jobs, you really yeah. don't need to be on location right. to do what you're doing. 
Yeah, definitely not me, but you know, yeah. for other people. Yeah. But yeah, you know, you can you can work that or have flex hours. So those are things. So like time off, work from home. What else? <laughs> and maybe like maybe something a little like wildly radical is I my personal plan if I were in charge, I would reduce we're reducing hours. Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm on board. We're raising wages. I'm I'm for that. Definitely. Then we're phasing out work entirely. Okay. <laughs> I'm listening. Whoa, I'm listening. Whoa. I'm listening. Holy crap. And we're also having a strong socialist feminist movement, keyword emphasis on socialist feminist, uh-huh. um, to – I could not think of a better um, way to phrase this than de-gender, but de-gender, gendered labor. Right. We're uh-huh. distributing child care equally as much as possible. We're distributing – uh, like household chores and think think then how much free time we would have to like do the important work and work that you enjoy mm-hmm. you would have so much free time to build community right you would have so much time to spend with your family and um, develop skills that you actually want to develop instead of meaningless administrative yeah garbage um. <laughs> <laughs> which seems to be the word of the episode we're gonna put it in garbage oh <laughs> uh, we gotta find a good we'll 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 brainstorm so total freedom from we'll work a committee together and um as as a phrase that someone not in our panel uh, one not one of our hosts but somebody that's in the room right now came up with life life balance Life, life, balance. life, life, balance. <laughs> We're life, eliminating life balance. work entirely. Okay, so let's back up. Let's let's like unpack a lot of those. So you started with fewer hours and higher wages. Yeah. So specifically, how would fewer hours? Like well, examples. So you could reduce the actual length of the workday. Okay. Um, tried it, didn't work, <laughs> didn't stick. <laughs> tried tried the forty hour week didn't stick. Or you could just <laughs> yeah. not, you could not come in. You could only do a four day eight hour work week. Yeah, uh huh. And France has thirty five hour work week. Yeah, they yeah. love it. Yeah, we, yeah. I, I don't it. know if they that still would be do. great. What's his face has been messing up their labor laws. Mm-hmm. What's his face? That's What's all his. Yeah, that's all fine. he named. His yeah. name is worth. I it. am in favor of less work. I think I am in this discussion. I am beyond even playing devil's advocate. I have complete faith that the things that need to be done would get done. Right. Um, And I just, I was thinking this week, um, like, so when I'm in a room with people, we talk about, like, I like to talk about a post-capitalist future. Um, The Rochester chapter of Democratic Socialists of America here in Rochester is currently engaging in discussions about what would a post-capitalist future look like. One of the things I've realized is that like if I'm in a room with people talking about what could be the person whose eyes light up that wants to start creating metrics for putting a value on each job is not the person I want in my post-capitalist future. Yeah. So it seems like it's a a lot of times when you talk about what it would look like to change work in these ways, um, to eliminate work that a lot of people are like, well, this kind of profession should get more than that kind of profession, and that kind of profession shouldn't be responsible for having to do garbage picking yeah. because they're really educated. Those are not the people that are yeah. on my post-capitalist well, future team. Furthermore, they're just like the, the tech companies who keep reinventing the bus. I don't know if you've seen <laughs> that. Like, <laughs> that happens like Uber and Lyft and all them. Sorry, other companies all the time. They just will... <laughs> Say like oh, I've created this this transportation system that will take a whole bunch of people from uh, one area and distribute them at another area. It's a bus, a bus. It's and a they, bus. this happens like every six that's months. We'll just redo this. Yeah. But that that's like just replicating the exact situations that we are currently sitting, With where we have said we're not looking to disrupt work. Exactly. Well, well, we not. are, but like destroy it. Yeah, we're, we're looking. <laughs> we're looking to destroy work. They're just trying to wait. Put, our, are we looking to destroy work or are we not? I'm Now I'm confused. Destroy, <laughs> we're destroy work, right? We're yeah. Destroy yeah. Work. We're, we're okay. on destroy work, yes. But things need to be done we're and things right. will be done. Yeah. People will get things done. Yeah. yeah. People have an inherent interest in how to heal yeah. the human body. Exactly. They're not going to disappear. So my personal perspective on it, and it, it goes a lot into the perspectives we have on patriarchy and capitalism and everything like that, is if you're taking care of your neighbor – 
if it's no longer a zero-sum game where my gain is somebody else's loss mm. or somebody else's gain is my loss is probably the way mm-hmm. we mostly phrase it, then a lot of that opens up a lot of possibilities about what the future could look like. Like if I'm not concerned about somebody else's gain putting me at a disadvantage, then I then we could be in a situation where we're a lot more willing to to pitch in and we're all going to clear up the garbage together and that kind That's of thing. That's really lovely. I really like that. So that's a, no, that's an important, like what you're saying about, I've never heard it phrased that way before. If it's not right. a zero-sum game, um, right now we f- seem to exist in a world where if somebody's getting something, it's yeah. taken away from me. Or we yeah. have that attitude. Exactly. But and you're actually suggesting works, yeah. like our baskets are all full and we yeah. can just share that's, flowers with each other. Exactly. That's totally, if we change the perspective of how we're thinking about work and and we're thinking about gains and everything like that it doesn't have to be that kind of situation it's not men against women it's not rich against poor it's not everything everybody can be in the same on the same team it's not an us versus them Mm -hmm. we can all enjoy life right So what's the what's the big question? What is the how one? will things get done? How will things get this done? This is my thing. How will things get Everybody's done? People a, <clears throat> will just be lazy. Right. They won't be motivated to so, work. So this notion of working for someone else's exorbitant profits while simultaneously being led to believe that you too can also participate it's in this natural. thing is not it's never been done. So except under capitalism. And even that, even and that's very new. Yeah, what we're talking good. about is modern capitalism news. So yeah. we have to acknowledge the fact that looking at what people did in history regarding work is not a measure of what the future could be. Okay. So, so there hasn't been a point in history when we didn't have a structure of labor, at least most cultures didn't have a structure of labor, most whatever you want to call them, large-scale cultures, right, where it suddenly stopped. And people had to develop means of working on their own, right? Okay, so I feel like you you must have been in a lot of conversations lately where people tried to tell you what the path forward is by looking at the past. Yeah, yeah. And I just don't think you can make the case that, like, because that, that, go back to your question. How will work it how, done? How will work it done? As if there's ever been a moment you could look back and prove that when, in fact, this system happens, work doesn't get done. Okay, you so can't. What, okay. You can't prove it. But what you can prove over and over is that in times of need and crisis, people do work. People come people together. People come together and go above and beyond what's expected, right? Okay. So you know that from history. But what we don't know from history is what people would do if suddenly nobody wanted to work. Right. Right. But yet, so that can't. So it's that. not true that people just won't work. It's an assumption Nobody's about human. Nobody's going to lay on a chaise lounge eating bonbons. It's a very negative and stupid view in my mind of what people are of human nature of human of that there is a human nature at all but that if there was humans would just naturally default to being lazy right because you know because humans all want to starve to death and they all want to watch their neighbors starve to death okay so now you've given me an entry point (laughs) so maybe we don't have enough of a vocabulary for talking about work because of capitalism so so (laughs) now so in the past people Worked at making shoes because they needed shoes. And their community needed shoes. And their community needed shoes. And people grew food because we needed food. And there's something in modern capitalism which is overproducing crap we don't need and not distributing the things we do need fairly. So if we get post-work, if somehow we get Mm post-capitalism, post-work, Um, you're suggesting, and I would agree with you, that people will do what needs to be done. Yeah. The question is, do we feel like we have enough? And I think, yeah, I think part of capitalism and part of that spirit of capitalism is that it's never enough. It's meliora. It's never enough, right? Ever better. Ever, it, no, it's the same thing. It yeah, means never, never enough. enough. I know it's, it means ever better, but it also means you never stop working. Yeah. It means always, you, you we're never always satisfied. Improve. We're Constant never satisfied. improvement. Yeah, right. And that's part of the myth. So the question, Karen and I discussed this before the show. Let's start with the most basic things. Let's start with shelter, food, and let's just go with shelter and food. Just, Do we have I, enough? Do we have enough was the question. Yeah, okay. I just, I want to flag that. I want to show people what, where we're <clears> headed. You are now bringing in arguments that a lot of people are bringing in about, I think you're going to touch on, about um, how our environment, the earth, cannot sustain work as it looks like today. 
but that, but it's it's a, it's a meandering path We're, to get there. So one of the th- things you're touching on is that under capitalism. We have planned obsolescence, yeah. and we're using up the resources of the earth to create things that we do not need. Yeah. But post-work, we could focus on the things we need. And yeah. actually, what we already have so much of what we need yeah. that exists right. in the world so physically. Let's start, with, let's start with housing. Yeah. Do we have enough housing to house, f- everybody. To house everybody? Yes. Yes. We know this in cities, and we know this in rural communities. If we don't literally we have enough physical houses, we have the materials to make and, more. Right. If we didn't, if it, were, if housing were not shaped by capitalists looking to profit, yeah. the actual production of housing is is totally possible and doable. So housing, the housing problem is a problem of management and the will to not be greedy and the will mm-hmm. to. So I, look, I, I've said this before. If we got rid of the concept of shareholders, if we got rid of the concept mm-hmm. of developers, mm-hmm. we would have a lot. It would, all of this post-work life would be a lot easier. But let's go back to housing, mm-hmm. so we can agree. We have enough housing. We have. We have. Or we, we, can, we have what we need we do, to make we can. more. If we, we if it. if the profit margin was not a factor, uh-huh. we could. Okay. So let's talk about food. Um, food can be managed. Can we produce enough can food we, yes. for everybody on sure Earth right can. now? Yes, we, we, we don't. Know this. We we know this. We and, yeah. and and it doesn't mean we're just all eating, you know, Soil rice and, and mung beans. Like it's Soil you know, green. Yeah, we're not. Yeah, we have it. It's arguable, but what we can again mm-hmm. take out corporations and profiteering. It's a different story. Yeah. Okay. So what else? We have food, clothing. Do we have it? Can yes, we? Have, yeah. we have easily. Yes. It's. Yes. Really, and let's go to let's take this let's take a basic technology thing. If we got rid of the idea of planned obsolescence and we built things to last. Mm-hmm. If your iPhone was expected to last 10 years, right? Mm-hmm. Or 50. Or whatever, and our job was to simply produce the things we need to do without having a profit mm-hmm. dominant and a corporate structure and and capitalizing off of that mm-hmm. and shareholders, we would make the things we need. The technologies, we have the technologies for transportation. We have the technologies for energy production that don't require. We can, you can use wind and solar. Yeah. And so, in other words, there, the, the mechanisms by which we can have a sustainable world are there. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing that stops them is the same thing that stops pharmaceutical companies from making affordable drugs or the healthcare industry from the insurance industry from making mm-hmm. single payer healthcare. It's simply that there is a class of people who are ultimately the laziest bastards on the planet. <laughs> and they absolutely have to keep making a ridiculous amount of profit with very little investment in, in, in labor, very yeah. little work, right? That's yeah. what they do. That class is the single obstacle to the work-free world. Now, mm-hmm. so you're going to ask the question about work. Well, then how would it go back to how would anything get done? Well, I actually do believe that things would get done. I just was giving you would. the devil's advocate. Well, so when in times of of you've pointed this out, like you have you have a you don't like zombie movies, right? I don't like zombie. I don't go. like I don't like The Walking Dead because the assumption is that people's first inclination is to be violent to other people in times of absolute li- like world shattering crisis. That yeah. we would be selfish people, and I will say. We, were, we have been, I just read this today about the most recent thing, the oldest um, homo sapien fragment, bone fragment found outside of Africa was found today. We're looking at modern homo sapiens at being 315,000 years, okay? okay. 315,000 years. We could not have survived if we were selfish. Yeah, we we're have. Not we, we're not tough. Now. You know what? We can't. On our uh, by myself, a mountain lion would kill me. Mm-hmm. By myself, I could fall and break my leg, and I would be dead. Mm-hmm. Right? We needed cooperation. It's the nature of our. We are. Div- we are born social. It is absolutely mm-hmm. part of our necessity. So this notion that we would suddenly become selfish and violent mm-hmm. is insane. Well, it's also, it's not it borne out by capital. actual crises. No, exactly. It's like not. when there's a school shooting, people come together. When there's when a 9/11, flooding, when people come floods, together. People, now, granted, at the end of the day, the people who came together were the neighbors, were the people who were all suffering in it together. Mm-hmm. And one of the things we, one of the things modern capitalism has done has prevented people from acknowledging that they're suffering in it together. And you say this point all the time. We're all in this together. Mm-hmm. People don't actually believe that. What else do we need in life? Well, we need socialness. Well, mm-hmm. we can have that. Mm-hmm. Work to, I, but I have heard people say, like, well, what would you do if you didn't work? Mm-hmm. Like, 
like like the assumption would be that I would just sit around and eat food and die. Like I would just become <laughs> I would be I would be melded and grafted into my couch watching uh-huh. TV. Uh-huh. No, I would accomplish so many more things if I did not have to go to a job every day. <laughs> That's a good point. I would and- be and not and not just selfish things. I'm talking about I I would be helping more people. Yeah. I would be doing a lot more things that were creative. I'd have fun. You I'd mean smile there's meaning more. outside there's, of work. There's actually more meaning outside of work. This is one of the reasons I argue we've we've had these sort of debates. Yeah. I think there's a lot more work is necessary evil. Currently. And we spend a lot of yeah. time conducting a necessary evil yeah. instead of all the other things. And what's worse is, Karen, what happens when you come home from work? I'm exhausted. Right. So, what are you going to do when you're exhausted? Eat yeah. and watch TV. Wait, and then and then dread the fact that it does. And it's not saying like our jobs are miserable. No, no. We don't hate our jobs. Yeah. I mean, it's just it takes up a lot of time. It takes up a lot of time. And Most. I want to. So, uh, yes, pleasure, leisure, pleasure. Why not? Don't we deserve it? But yeah. I also want to point out that for people who are struggling to stay alive, the ability. To comfortably have leisure time is yeah. parenting time. It's family time. It actually relieves the 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 ability to relieve stress is actually yeah. life saving. I just I I have said this on another episode, but I want to I want to bring it back to this one because we I want to leave imagining post work and the leisure time. Mm-hmm. Like, what would you do if you didn't have to get this is a rhetorical question for the listeners what would you do if you did not have to go into work tomorrow Mm -hmm. um and uh michael moore did a film a couple of years ago where to invade next uh where he went the 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 conceit was he went to other countries to find out what they're doing differently than the united states so that we can invade those countries and get those benefits right yeah, take what they so take they went i think it was italy where they talked about how much how much vacation time yeah. people get and they mm-hmm. talked to a couple and he was like what do you do with all that <laughs> vacation time like what could you possibly do with yeah. 5 or 6 weeks vacation and they were they like they were like we have sex yeah they enjoy, they just, and, and you know, to go back to the vacation, vacation's a really good example. So the system has set us up so that when you're on vacation, half of your vacation time is spent worrying about what you just left at work. Oh my God. And what's, and what's, what's accumulating. Up. And what's accumulating. accumulating. Right. And that is because we, pe- our vacations are not treated as things to actually help us recuperate, rejuvenate, or anything like Respite. that. It's a, bu- our, it's a benefit. Well, you work here, so you get five days off. Work here, you get a two-week For vacation. For those who get any Whatever. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, not a, it's not an ameliorative thing. It's not a helpful mm-hmm. thing. It's just, well, you get some time off, which is, it's a little, it's, we get crumbs mm-hmm. for vacation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're listening to Punching Out on WAYOLP Rochester. If you'd like to continue slacking off, you can find all of our past episodes on iTunes and SoundCloud. Remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are. Well, and again, and then again, just all of this technology, technological development is meaning it, it could mean that we could just our lives could be a little bit more relaxed and we could just work a little mm-hmm. bit less. But yeah. culturally, that's just we're not going to accept that as long as we feel like we need to work to, in order to mm-hmm. have social yeah. value. Yeah. So Yeah. Well, and, and, and a lot of that, and I know that we've talked about this in a bunch of different times off, off air, uh, is, is people, there, there's a feeling of that idleness is equivalent to laziness. Exactly. Right? Or that there's no... Not maybe not that there's no value in idleness, but that there's more that the the stick of capitalism, the the driving force of innovation, um, is coercion. Basically, Mm -hmm. that you're you have to do these things, and if you want to make your job better, then figure out a better way to do it. Right, which is advancing technology. But then who benefits from that advancement? You know, it's it's very it's, it's 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 you know. But the idea, one of the other major shifts, I think that we need to try and help people come to grips with is that there is extreme value in being idle and having free time to, to think, you know what I mean? To process thought. And because the, the, the the issues that we have are complex, like to put it, to put it 
very, you know, simplistic. Yeah. Uh, it, it, the, the things that we're trying to, these, these, these things that we're trying to overcome are complex in a way that like a single person can't keep in their mind. Right. right? So, and the idea that we could come up with solutions while working ourselves to I death uh, is, is, is insane. And, and one of my favorite, uh, this is a total paraphrase, but one mm-hmm. of my favorite like references to to the importance of of idleness is um is Higgs the uh, the professor who you know theorized the Higgs boson and when they asked him what led to the discovery he basically said peace and quiet uh, you know so the fact is is we we don't know what a new level of freedom will bring us in innovation you know mm-hmm. like right. like when when we truly have a population that's free to think and spend their time working and not laboring mm-hmm. um where we can go from there right you know like and that's uh, i want to find out <laughs> like right. desperately like i exactly. really desperately want to find out it's like if our minds could always be on shower mode right, right. exactly you, know? you that's like always get it. the best ideas that's, when you're yeah, in the shower that's, that's exactly you're it because doing... you're 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 just that's it you're in that <laughs> moment and you're free for yeah. yeah it's you know uh i've had a lot of anxiety showers too to be fair but yeah. uh, but there's <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. there's um an essay that I remember from years ago that I brought up here. Um, it's called Alive in the Sunshine. It was written in uh, Jacobin Magazine, I think, 2014. The broader point of the essay is it's about this sort of conflict between the environmental movement and this push for jobs, be mm-hmm. they pipeline jobs or coal jobs, or the, and how like labor movements were pushing for these sort of dirty jobs, I yeah. think is the term you had used earlier, where you were – the work itself was – I mean it was providing a wage to some workers but at the expense of the environment. And right. these sort of left-wing goals were kind of in opposition to one, one another. And right. it concludes like this. This is going to be a lengthy excerpt, so bear with me. She's talking about this essay by Virginia Woolf, uh, which is called A Room of One's Own. And – In that essay, and in the essay I'm quoting from now, in it, she reflects on the instinct for possession, the rage for acquisition, which keeps the stockbroker and the great barrister going indoors to make money and more money and more money when it is a fact that 500 pounds a year will keep one alive in the sunshine. With that 500 pounds, she wrote, came the freedom to think and write as she pleased. We should add a few more things to the list, universal health care, a bus pass, but figuring out what it takes to keep all 7 billion plus people on the planet alive in the sunshine will be the fundamental task of the 21st century. The post-work future is often characterized as a vision of a post-scarcity society, but the dream of freedom from wage labor and self-realization beyond work suddenly looks less like utopia than necessity. Finding ways to live luxuriously but also lightly, adequately but not aesthetically, won't always be easy. But perhaps in the post-post-scarcity society, somewhere between fears of generalized scarcity and dreams of generalized decadence, we can have the things we never managed to have in the time of supposed abundance. Enough for everyone and time for what we will. Wow. I love that. Yeah, that's that's amazing. It's, It's the essay that really sort of opened my mind to this idea of universal basic income, this idea yeah. that we need to provide people the resources they need to survive without relying on labor because that quest for jobs is going to mean a quest for menial work and dirty jobs, as yeah. you will. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I feel like the most important part of that excerpt uh, was that she she refers to it as a necessity. Mm-hmm. Like it's getting past what we're doing and that ties into what you're talking about <clears throat> with the conflicting interests of the environmental movement and some people's persistence on the idea that we need jobs. Um, mm-hmm. Those things can't coexist. Right, exactly. And so this this can't – we can't let this go on basically. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and yeah, her use of the term necessity I think is spot on. Yeah. This is, we don't have a choice here. We need to – yeah, <laughs> we need to move beyond what we're doing and as quickly as possible. Exactly. I guess sort of – to conclude the show, it's this idea that we can be productive without being sort of busy work and just and doing bad things for money, basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I remember something I heard once in terms of when people say, "What what would we do like without mm-hmm. a job?" And I just want to remind people of when they were seven years old and they were playing in the dirt. Yeah, like you'll find something to do. Exactly. Like, so 
one day you're going to be able to quit your job and you're going to feel great about it. Exactly. <laughs> and, it's, and, and your life is going to change forever. It's going to be hopefully amazing. it's before you're 85. <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. 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 And, right. and yeah. The, the sort of existential crises or identity crises that we have when we're not in work are not because of, I, don't, I think they're not because of our own personal characteristics as humans, but because mm-hmm. of the system that we live in. And yeah, absolutely. The, sort of uh, prominence it has placed on work in our identity. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think there's been a really great discussion, but we are running out of time now. So for this week, I'm Ryan. I'm Abby. And I'm Earl. This was Punching Out. You've been listening to Punching Out. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter at Punching Out Wayo. Email us your work stories, complaints, and struggles to punchingoutwayo at gmail.com. Punching Out is a project of the Punching Out Collective. Our producer is Ryan Brister. Music for Punching Out is provided by Ariel Cruz. Tune in next week for more Punching Out, and remember, your boss isn't listening, but we are.